Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 11, verse 33, through Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You can either read it in a Bible that you have with you or on the screen behind me. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Uh, Last week, we finished up chapter 11 of Romans, and uh, Paul spent most of the chapters 1 through 11 uh, telling us about what the gospel is and how the gospel changes everything. Tell us what the gospel is and how it changes everything. And he ended that whole section from chapters 1 through 11 with some pretty heady and heavy stuff. Some stuff that's kind of hard to to wrap our heads around. It's easy to get confused about. It's easy to get into arguments and get confused by as things that are difficult to comprehend. But um, the, the whole gospel message is really like that. It, it is both really simple and simple enough that a child can grasp, but yet it is so deep and so complex that it's going to take us eternity to really delve into. And what Paul does is he's going through this whole, this whole route from chapter 1 all the way through 11 where he's talking about our, God's holiness and our sin and Christ coming to save us and how that, that salvation comes to us as a free gift by grace alone, through faith alone to us. It, it comes to all of us as every single one of us who ever believes, whoever becomes a Christian, it comes to us kind of like uh, waking from a dream. If, if you've ever, I'm a, I'm a really hard sleeper and my wife wakes up like, as soon as she wakes up, she's thinking about like all the things in life, big issues of life, things we have to do that day, like future goals and plans, remodeling that we need to do, career, like all kinds of things. And she's just like immediately like, hey, how about this? And throwing out all these questions. And I need, I need minutes. I really need a whole hour to wake up, to really catch on. I had to wake up my kids this morning. We had watched a movie last night and I waked them up to, to get up and go to church and you know, it kind of takes them a while to, to hear what I'm actually saying. And that's how the gospel comes to us because all of us by nature are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are all asleep or more than asleep. We're all dead in our trespasses and, and sins. And as the gospel comes to us, it kind of starts to awaken us and, and bring us to new life. And we begin to grow in our understanding, but there's an extent to which we never really really will understand on this, this side of eternity. Uh, when I gave you an example last week about my family and I, when we went on vacation, we drove to the top of Mount Mitchell in North Carolina. It's the highest peak on the East Coast. And as the clouds started to clear, you could see, you know, down into the valley and for miles and miles and see other mountains and, you know, other peaks and there were rivers and lakes and all around. And as, in one sense, like I can see it and I know what I'm seeing. And yet also at the same time, the vastness is kind of overwhelming. 
Like I can't quite wrap my head around. That's part of what makes us wonder at something. Uh, wonder is caused by the fact that like I'm seeing something. I'm standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon or the edge of the ocean and I'm looking out on a starry night and I see the, the vast stars and the, the vast ocean or I'm standing on top of Mount Mitchell. I'm looking out over the, the vastness and I see it and I can, and in some way I can comprehend it, but yet the other way I can't fully wrap my head around it and it causes me to wonder, to stand in awe. And that's exactly what Paul does as he gets to this part of Romans, as he's been laying this whole groundwork of what the gospel is and how it changes everything. He got to the end of chapter 11 last week, and we saw how he, all he could do then is he just gets to the end, and he's like, this is a wonderful, amazing thing. And then he sings, right? He worships. And last week we talked about how Paul is urging us to worship and we, we gave a definition of, of worship last week and we said it was a, a gut level reflexive response to something, particularly in this case to God, that we are all by nature worshipers. We find something of great value that pulls us into its orbit and we reflexively and instinctively uh, Gut, at a gut level way respond to that. And that's what happens when we see the beauty and the grandeur of God. There's something when we really see it, not when we like pass by it and see it, but when we really see it, it causes a reflexive gut level reaction within believers to, to glory and wonder at that. But, and so that's one element of worship, but this, this week we're going to add another level to what that worship means. So when I see the, the grandeur and the beauty and the wonder, the majesty of God, when I see the love of God shown to me through Jesus Christ, whenever I was by nature dead in my trespasses and sins and he came after me and rescued me and pulled me to himself, he opened my eyes to see my own sin and his holiness and what he's done for me in Christ and, and I'm reborn, like I, I, that reflexively response is, is a reflexive response that comes out of that. But then this week we're gonna see that another layer is added on top of that, which is an appropriate, thoughtful, intentional, daily response to God. That when I see the beauty, when I really see the beauty and grandeur of God, it pulls something from inside of me, a reflexive response that, that marvels and stands in awe and wonder at his beauty. But I don't know if you've been a Christian for very long, you may have experienced moments like that. Maybe it was in a service like this, or maybe it was in college, or maybe it's been several times throughout your life. Maybe it was alone in your car. Maybe you've had some sweet moments like that as a believer where you, man, you're just like, wow, God is wonderful, amazing. And then you leave that moment and like it sort of becomes like every moment after that, every day after that, it sort of like starts to dull in your memory, right? Until your life looks very different. And Paul's saying that we need to see the beauty and the grandeur of God. We need to see the amazingness of Christ and that should cause a reflexive response. But then he says, our life should have a daily, intentional, thoughtful response to the greatness and beauty of God that is found in the face of Jesus. This is our text for this week, one verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Paul 
starts off this verse, starts off this whole passage. Again, he's been laying out what the gospel is to the first part of Romans. He has this sort of like hinge moment where he stops and sings and wonder at all the amazing things that God has done for us in Christ. And now he says, now, therefore, I urge you or I appeal to you or I exhort you. That's what that word means. Depending on what version you're reading, he says, I appeal to you or I urge you or I exhort you by the mercies of God. He urges us to do something or he appeals to us. He implores us. He exhorts us to do something. The, the sense of the wording here is kind of difficult to, to capture in English in, in, in one word because it contains both an appeal so some of your versions read an appeal. That's what our official version of ESV says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Uh, some of your versions may read urge. I urge you, therefore, brothers, which has a little more authoritative. And that's the two parts of this, ver- of this, of this uh, word that he is painting a picture of. He's saying, I appeal to you as an invitation, and I urge you as a command or authoritatively is I'm inviting you and I'm urging you or commanding you. And at at its core, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is a command to repent of our sin against God. The gospel is a command for us to recognize the kingship and lordship of Christ and to bow our knee to him. The, The gospel comes as a command for us to recognize our duty to God as God and my duty to him as a created being, created by him. But the gospel also comes as an invitation. It comes as an invitation for me to accept Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. It's an invitation for me to accept and to, to call upon the, the, the work of Christ that pays the debt that I owe to God. It's a command and it's an invitation The gospel is a command for me to recognize my proper duty to God, but it's also an invitation to see the work of Jesus for me and the power of the Holy Spirit within me to fulfill the duty that I owe to God. Does that make sense? It's a command for me to obey him and also an invitation to recognize that he has given to me in Christ and through the indwelling power of of the Holy Spirit all that I need in order to do that, that I cannot fulfill that in myself. It's a command and it's an invitation. The question is for all of us, every person who's watching me or hearing me this morning, the question for every single person, every single person on the face of this planet, whoever has lived, is living now, or will live, the question is, will we hear that appeal? Not just will you hear it like with your ears, but will you let the, the, the urging and the weight and the command and the beauty of the invitation, will you let it actually fall upon your soul and actually hear it. And we all fight against hearing it. Because the first thing that the gospel does when it comes to us, that the call for the duty that we owe God, it comes first of us and it wounds us. When we hear God speaking, it always wounds us at first. Think about Adam and Eve, if you know the story, after they sinned in the Garden of Eden. When they heard God coming, they went and they hid from him. When we hear God, every single one of us, when we hear about our duty to him, when we hear about our sinfulness and it hits us, the first thing it does to us is it wounds us. It causes us to want to hide because it, it hits us 
at the very core of our being, at our most tender place. And you know where your most tender place is? Your most tender place is your pride. We think that our pride is like our strongest part, right? It's like the part that is hard set against God and pushing ourselves above other people and telling us that we don't need God, like telling God we don't need him, like saying I am alone, sufficient in myself, but pride is always masking something that's very tender underneath. I'm most, pro- I'm most prideful usually in the areas that I'm most tender in, that I'm the most self-conscious about. That's why like, if you've been living long enough to realize sometimes the people that you meet that seem the most prideful are actually the people who are trying to mask things, their own weakness, the hardest. But we all do that. When we hear God call out to us, he tells us intrinsically in that word that we are called to bow our knee to him and that wounds us in our pride. The gospel at its core, it comes and it wounds us, but it also heals us. But we can't get to the healing until it wounds us first. We can't get, God raises us up in the gospel. We can't be raised up until we fall on our knees before him. We all want to find fulfillment, but we don't want to first be wounded. And that's why the story of many of you people that are in this room, all of us by nature, are people who are running hard away from God and trying not to hear his command to us, trying not to hear of our duty to him. So we feel our thoughts and our minds with anything else that we can find. And we can find lots of things. I want to fill my heart and mind with anything that will keep me from recognizing my own pride and God's call and demand upon me as a human being. Why do you keep your life so incredibly busy? Why do you not allow yourself a moment of silence? Why is there always something on your screen, something playing, something you're listening to, watching, doing, because you are constantly trying to fill your schedule because in those quiet moments when you're alone, and it's just you and your thoughts. It hits you who you really are. And that's hard to stomach. It's hard to admit I'm not enough on my own. It's hard to not admit that I'm not sufficient in myself. It's hard for me to admit that I am not the king of my own life. But that alone is not enough to turn our hearts. It's not enough to cause us to change. It's not enough to cause us to bow down before God because that sinful nature in us, when we hear it, we're just going to continue to fight against it. Except Paul says, I urge you or I appeal to you, therefore. That word there is a powerful, powerful word. Paul urges us and appeals to us, therefore. Do you know what that therefore means? I'm going to run through this really quick. Just hear what that therefore means. I urge you or I appeal to you, therefore, hear it. 
Romans 1, 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 323 through 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 30, and those whom he predestined, He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You know what that therefore means? It means though you did not honor God as God and you exchanged the glory of God for images and you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God through free grace has justified you as a gift through Jesus Christ. Though Even though the wages of your sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if he has done that for you as a believer, then those whom he has predestined, he has called, and who he has called, he will glorify because no one can bring a charge against you because Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and therefore nothing, nothing shall ever separate you from the love of Christ through his sacrifice and intercession for us. You know what Paul says? He says, therefore, because of that, or he says, by the mercies of God. That's how to sum it all up in. Therefore, by the mercies of God, or because of the mercies of God, I appeal to you, I invite you, and I urge you and command you to do something. That's what a Christian's life. That's the source or the spring of the life of a Christian looks like. It doesn't come first from duty. We feel the sense of calling and duty. We, call, we hear the call of holiness of God, but we realize I cannot do it on my own, but yet Christ in me can change me. I was destined for hell, and yet Christ on the cross has paid for my sin. I am weak in my own and yet Christ in me by the power of the Holy Spirit can change me and cause me to live a different kind of life. And Christ in me will hold me fast until the end and nothing can separate me from that love. 
I urge you, therefore, because of the mercies of God. What? Now do this. What? Present yourselves, therefore. I urge you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says that we should present ourselves to God because of his great mercies. We should present ourselves to God. That, that word present there means to place ourselves in front of or make ourselves available to. And when he talks about our, your bodies, He's not just talking about our physical bodies. He's pointing to our whole self, our physical bodies, our mental life, our spiritual life, your whole being, everything that makes you who you are, present, make available to, lay before God. Every day, here's the truth, every day, every person in this room, every person that hears me speaking this morning, every person presents themselves to something or someone every single day. Every single day, you are presenting yourselves before something or someone. You are making yourself available to something or someone. That is what you are doing with your life. I was in the office this week and uh, Auntie plays, uh, Miss Carolyn uh, plays, uh, plays music uh, for her and for all of us. And, uh, and that day she was playing um, some, some good gospel music and I heard a song I haven't heard in a long time and it was a gospel remix saying, uh, you, can, you can serve, basically the message was, you can serve whatever you like, but you have to serve somebody. The question isn't, are you serving somebody? The question is, who or what are you serving? Here's a few questions for you this morning for you to think about. What are you presenting yourself to in your life? Think about your daily life. Think about the things that you do throughout your average day. Think from the moment you wake up through Whatever your, the course of your day looks like, work or school or taking care of the kids or whatever that looks like through, through the day, into the evening, into the night, when you lay your head down and go to sleep and wake up again, what are you making yourself available to? If you were to chronicle your day, chronicle what you're giving yourself to, what what consumes your time? What consumes your energies? What consumes your thoughts? What do you consume with your eyes? What do you consume with your ears? What are you presenting yourself to? Because you are doing that. But the second question isn't just what are you presenting yourself to or what are you doing with your time and your day and your attention, but who are you presenting yourself to? Because here's the truth. It's not just what you're presenting yourself to. It always ends in a person. In other words, let's say you are giving yourself to your career. And your waking life is given to rising in your career, uh, getting a higher position or making more money or growing your business or growing your boss's business or expanding your, your clientele or whatever that looks like. And none of those things are bad, by the way. 
but, in themselves. But if that is what you are giving yourself to, it's not just like, oh, I'm giving myself to my career. There's a reason, there's someone behind that that you're giving yourself to. There's someone that you are serving. And it really comes down to three sources. You're serving God, you're serving Satan, or you're serving yourself. By what you are actively presenting yourself to, you're presenting yourself to, making yourself available to yourself or Satan or God. Now we just started to get a little uncomfortable in the room. It could be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your boss, customers, strangers online, but you, it always ends in one of those three places. You're serving your boyfriend, you're presenting yourself to your girlfriend, you're presenting yourself to your spouse, your life revolves around your boss or your customers or strangers who may or may not give you likes online because you're serving, presenting yourself to yourself or Satan or to the Lord. And if you're a Christian, what are you presenting to God? I'm not asking this morning if he's getting part of you. I'm not asking if he's getting the best of you. I'm asking you this morning, is he getting all of you? That's the appropriate response to him. That's what this passage says. It is our spiritual act of worship or our reasonable or rational response to God is to present ourselves wholly to him. Not part, not the best, all of it. In light of the mercies of God, this is not a guilt thing, it's a response of gratefulness and worship, but it, again, the wound comes in first to wound us before we can be healed. Is he getting all of you? That's the core of what it means to be redeemed. Did you notice in that passage in Romans 1, it says that, the, that mankind fell by rejecting God and giving glory, taking glory away from him and not giving him the honor that is due him and giving it to something else. What it means to be redeemed is for that to be reversed, for us to take it away from earthly things ourselves and Satan himself and to give God the glory alone that is due to him and the glory that is due to him is all of my life. Paul says, I appeal to you or I urge you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship Paul describes a life that is presented to God as a life that is a living sacrifice when he says living sacrifice, what does that mean? Well, first of all, living, he's, he's saying that it's momentary and daily. 
It's not something that happens once and for all and it's all over. It's not just, hey, it happened to me at one time back, I gave my life to Christ or I recommitted my life back at camp or I had this experience and therefore I'm now moving on. No, he's saying it's a living sacrifice. It happens daily and it happens momentarily. And you know what that means? That means it's not automatic. It is an intentional, daily, rational response to God for all of his mercies, for all of his grace. It's not just a mental ascent that God is God and I'm not, but it's something that reflects in my actions. It means I take my life and my actions seriously. He describes that living sacrifice as holy or a holy sacrifice. At this point, he's bringing the picture of the Old Testament whenever they would have a, a sacrifice. They would take a, a sheep or a, or a bull or a ram or something and they would take it and they would consecrate it or make it holy or set it apart from the things that are common. And they would say, this belongs to God and to God alone. It's consecrated. It's set apart. It's owned by God. He's saying my life should be a living sacrifice, one that where I'm presenting myself daily and momentarily for the service of God because I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I want to glorify God in and through my life. It means daily I dedicate my mind and I dedicate my words and I dedicate my actions. And that means that whenever I fail to do so, I respond in repentance. Not not trying to work my way out of that because I recognize that it's not my actions that makes me right with God. It's simply a response to the greatness and the mercies of Christ. I dedicate my mind my words, my actions. And he says, this is your spiritual or reasonable or rational or appropriate or thoughtful response to God. God isn't looking for some great show of devotion to him from you. God is simply looking for your heart in response to him. But you know what that means? It means that he wants all of you, not part. Your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole life. That is what is reasonable and acceptable in worship in response to God. I think that we have as Christians, I think we have as a church, accepted far too little from ourselves. I think we've expected far too little from ourselves. God has a major part of my life, but if I'm honest, it's not all of it. God has a major part of my thoughts, but not all of it. I follow Christ loosely, but I couldn't say my life is a daily sacrifice to him. We have made and we've accepted on a holy God's behalf 
partial sacrifices. You know what God thinks about partial sacrifices? And I don't say this as a guilt or fear thing. But there's a couple in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. And they sold, they'd seen somebody else sell a piece of land and give all the proceeds to the church to be distributed among the, the poor and those that needed help. And they thought that looked pretty cool. And so they did the same thing. They sold a piece of land that they had and they came and brought part of it to the Lord. And it was, they could have done that, but the problem was they said it was all of it. And the result was that each of them, before the assembly, as they confessed that this is everything, they fell down dead before, before the assembly. God doesn't accept partial sacrifices of our life and us call it all. Hebrews 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, he's talking about the, the Israelites who heard God speaking from the mountain whenever the Ten Commandments were given. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. If you didn't hear anything else, hear this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, in the mercies of by the mercies of God. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We've been praying as a church that God would fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. We've been praying as a church that God would turn us out on mission, that he would give us, empower us, and enable us in our daily lives to do so. But here's how that happens as we dedicate ourselves fully and completely and daily as a living sacrifice to God because our God is a consuming fire, knowing that we are receiving a kingdom that is heaven and eternity that cannot be and will not be shaken because he is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, we, this morning, each of us recognize that every single one of us, that we do not daily give ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. God, we thank you for the mercies of God that are found in Christ Jesus on our behalf to cover our sin. And in light of those great mercies, God, I pray that you would cause us to respond in offering our lives daily and completely and continually before you as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable before you and is our reasonable or rational or spiritual response. God, help us to be wounded so that we can be healed. And God, help us to encourage each other 
to get up whenever we fall and to follow after you with all of our hearts and souls. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, I pray that this would be the day that they bow before you in your great mercies. In the name of Christ, I pray, amen.